following message was delivered at Bible Baptist Church in Dickinson, North Dakota. Time to go home, it's time to go home. And it's not one of those things we argue with God about, amen. But if you will, John 12 again, John 12. And we'll begin in verse 26, John 12, and as uh, looking at verse 26... The Bible says, if any man serve me, him will my father, uh, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve him, me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I into this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by her and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, An angel spake to him. <clears throat> Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now uh, shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. How sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Uh, Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness uh, come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While you have the light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed it and did hide himself. We're continuing to talk about honoring Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you again for this opportunity to come and worship the Lord. Father, thank you for the word of God and for this place that you've given us to worship in. Father, for your people that are able to be here this morning. And Father, we pray, Father, Lord, for those who may be sick, not able to come to all the services. God, help them, bless them, and I pray, Father, especially this morning that you'd bless us. And, and Father, thank you for being a God who answers prayer. Father, thank you for being a God who cares. Thank you for caring for all of us and even for my mom. God bless her, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, honoring Christ. Now, we have been talking about honoring Christ from verses 20 to, <clears throat> if you will, verse 36. We've already talked about the fact that who were those, uh, uh, who were these that sought to honor Christ in verse 20 in uh, John 12, John 12 and 20. The Bible says, And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. We determined by the process of elimination and consideration of some of the ideas that were out there that they were proselytes to Judaism from among the Greeks, as Matthew 23. Look with me there, Matthew 23 and 15. <clears throat> Matthew 23 and uh, verse 15. <clears throat> the Bible says, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you come to sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. There was the element among, of Judaism, which in its purest sense was preaching the Christ to come, was preaching the gospel of Christ to come, and it would lead those that truly knew the Lord to want to help others to come to know the Lord, even as we do as Christ, New Testament Christians. And yet we know that in this instance, Christ is rebuking these Jews for making proselytes or those who are rather uh, adherents or followers of religion, 
not necessarily followers of the Lord and of Christ. So these were, the, <clears throat> these were some who had come <coughs> to, the, to uh, worship at the feast, encountered Christ, sought to honor Christ. And then how were they to honor Christ? Looking back to John 12. <clears throat> John 12 and looking at uh, verse 25, John 12 and 25. <clears throat> you know, the Bible says, He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternally. How were they to honor Christ? If you will, they were to follow Christ in his death, and they were to follow him in a fruitful, resurrected life. And so we talked about those things, and then last week we began to talk about how God the Father honors Christ through his voice from heaven. Looking again <clears throat> to uh, verses 27 and following, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I into this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it. Again, here God spoke from heaven, seeking to glorify his son and knowing that uh, he was, uh, uh, Peter and them began to realize or, uh, that uh, uh, God the Father, uh, that God the Son was, if you will, equal with the Father. Look at me to Matthew 17. Matthew 17. This was not the first time that the Lord spoke from heaven concerning his Son. Matthew 17, and beginning in verse 1. Matthew 17, <clears throat> and uh, looking at verse 1. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. And while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud uh, overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. So the Lord has spoken, spoken from heaven in our text, has spoken before in heaven concern, from heaven concerning his Son, seeking to glorify him, and remembering this, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God as profitable, uh, for doctrine, for proof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Every word of God is found for us in the Bible, preserved for us. God continues to speak from heaven through his uh, written word, and we need to take here, heed he to it. Again, uh, John 12. <clears throat> uh, John 12, we talked last week about... <clears throat> <clears throat> what the Lord want, wanted us, wants us to consider concerning his Christ from his voice. In verse 27, we talked last week about the trouble for Christ. The trouble for Christ in verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. And this word troubled means to dishearten, agitate. It means to afflict. Knowing that uh, Christ is not only God the Son, but he is the Son of Man. He is the Son of God, and He is uh, the Son of Man. We talked about the fact that the Son of Man would suffer physically, which troubled Him. You know, and it's a, sometimes we imagine that just because Jesus is not only the Son of God and the Son of Man, that He would not take no thought at all 
concerning the physical suffering. It behooved Christ to be made like unto his uh, brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. God intended to become a man and God is tempted in all points like as we are and yet without sin. God wants to be able to identify with man to be the, sin, the sacrifice for the sin of man and so he became the son of man and to anticipate the suffering that he would go through must have been agitating at, at the least. He's troubled. The Bible says he is troubled over it. So there is the aspect of his physical suffering. And he as a man would go through all of it and then some without any anesthetic. You know, I appreciate the fact that they have medicines that will deaden the pain that people go through as they deal with suffering. I'm thankful for that. Because, uh, you know, when Brother Knight was passing, he was in great pain, and even all they gave him didn't deaden all of it. But at least it took some of the edge off of it. And I was thankful for that. And I'm thankful for those that are dealing with my mom that the pain that she's going through, that there's some relief for it. Amen? And I wouldn't want her to become a drug addict because of it, but I'm thankful uh, under controlled circumstances that those things can be used for good. And yet Jesus did not take those things. He suffered every ounce of pain and suffering and shame uh, for you and I. And not only that, we talked about the fact that he would suffer spiritually because for the first time in his existence, as he has always existed, the Son of God was rejected of God the Father. As he hung on the cross of Calvary, we know that uh, the Bible says there was darkness that covered the, uh, uh, the whole earth at that time. For, you know, the darkest time in human history was the time when Christ hung on the cross of Calvary, hung between heaven and earth for you and I. And the Bible says he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What a dark time and what a dark place for the Son of God to be when he felt as his Father had turned his back upon him as he became sin for us. And he cried out from the cross of Calvary, Eli, Eli, lama sabbatani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, sometimes you and I wonder, can God understand the things that I'm going through? Folks, Christ can understand anything we're going through even when we have a sense of being forsaken by people that should love us. Christ was forsaken for you and I of the Father on purpose. The Bible says it pleased him, pleased the Lord to bruise him for us, for our sakes that he would suffer for you and I. Then in John 12 and 27, we want to consider not only the trouble of Christ, but the prayer of Christ. In verse 27, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I into this hour. Father, glorify thy name. The prayer of Christ. You know, <clears throat> when he says, Father, save me from this hour, is he asking God literally to deliver him from it all? Or maybe rather to help me to go through it all for all, all of us? You know, the indication is that that he was asking the Father to help, help him. And you know, God the Son, the Son of God and the Son of Man cried out from the cross of Calvary. God, 
even in the Garden of Gethsemane, cried out for help. You know, folks, we ought to be able to, when we see people in suffering and difficulty, cry out to God for them, for their help. Amen? Folks, one of the reasons we have a church is to, is to uh, suffer with one another, suffer together, rejoice together, pray for one another, care uh, for one another, if you will. Luke 11. <clears throat> Luke 11, you know, Christ had taught his disciples to pray. Luke 11, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> and folks, one of the greatest, you know, one of the greatest things or privileges that you and I have is access to God the Father through the way in which Christ had thrown open the, the, the uh, if you will, the gates of heaven, uh, the throne room itself, giving us access to God. In Luke 11 and 1, it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he had ceased, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples, talking about John Baptist. And he said unto them, When you pray, uh, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us the day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He's given us the pattern for prayer, the things we ought to be in prayer about. And verse 5, and he said unto them, <clears throat> still in context with prayer, which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me the three loaves. For a friend of mine is in his journey come, is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, trouble me not, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, that means his constant coming, his constant requesting, his constant seeking, not satisfied until he has an answer. <clears throat> his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son ask, shall ask bread of any of you, that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or, will he, <clears throat> or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? It seems kind of ridiculous. <laughs> if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them? And that's it. You know, God is a good God, and God gives us if you will, perfect gifts. He gives us perfect answers uh, to our prayer. Never does he give us an answer that is unkind or unjust or ungodly. If you will <clears throat> look at the Luke 18. Luke 18. <clears throat> Again, as Christ is teaching on, on prayer. Luke 18, beginning in verse 1. Bible says here, and he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying there was a, in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. 
And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with him? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. He's speaking a, a parable concerning prayer, teaching his disciples concerning the, <clears throat> the value, continued value of continually coming before the Lord about these things. And folks, we should never get to the point where we think it's not... It's, it's useless to continue to pray. It's not useless. Never is it useless. The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much with God, if you will. Look with me to Luke 22. Luke 22 and 31. <clears throat> Luke 22 and 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. He's going to teach, us, teach even Simon something about prayer here. But I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now we know he's not going to be saved here, but rather turned around after, listen, after he fails God, after he denies Christ openly three times. And yet the Lord, knowing what was going to happen, said that I, I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. You know, folks, Christ is interceding for Peter. Knowing even what Peter was going to do, he did not abandon him, did not become unfaithful to him, though Peter was unfaithful to the Lord. The Bible says if we're not faithful, yet he abideth faithful, even when we're not faithful. And he, and he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. And then the Lord told him what he was going to do. And Peter, you know what, Peter? Peter is like us sometimes. He said, oh, I, I, I'd never do that. I'm going to be faithful. And then t the test of time proves to us sometimes we're not. Sometimes we're not, not. Sometimes we're not what we imagine ourselves to be or even what we say we will be and what we will do. If you will look at Luke 22, and 39, Luke 22 and 39. <clears throat> Here we find Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he came out, speaking of Christ, and when as he was wont, it, it was his habit to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. We know what that cup is, the cup of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, that he would drink dry for you and I. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Now, why would God need strength? Well, God wouldn't need strength, but the Son of Man would. And Jesus is the Son of Man and the Son of God. The angels came to strengthen him, and being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. He sweat so much that he, in anguish and anticipation of what he was going to go through, that he began to sweat great drops of blood. <clears throat> wow. I don't know how many of us have ever felt that kind of stress. And in the stress of what Christ was anticipating, he sweat uh, great drops of blood. 
Already he was bleeding and suffering in the garden for you and I. And when he rose up from prayer, he was come and was come to his disciples. He found them sleeping for sorrow. Now let me say this. You know what, folks? One of the natural responses to people that are grieving and sorrowing uh, for loss is the idea of sleep. Sometimes when we get to a place that we're so stressed out because of things like uh, what even these apostles were anticipating, the loss of the Lord, and what a cruel way in which he would go. Folks, they were already upset, and in their, their anguish and their upset, they were asleep. <clears throat> and he said to them, Why sleep you? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Folks, when we see this account in Luke, you know, it's interesting, Luke was a physician, and Luke often uh, focuses on the physical aspects of the things that Christ went through and the apostles and so forth. So we see an account under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of what Christ went through in the Garden of Gethsemane as he anticipated uh, his uh, trial and crucifixion. Now, <clears throat> he knows the end from the beginning. He knows he's going to conquer, and yet he is dealing with the things that you and I deal with. In Hebrews 2, Hebrews 2, <clears throat> and looking at verse 16, Hebrews 2 and 16. <clears throat> Here again, I quoted this earlier, but he says, For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself hath suffered, being tempted, is able to succor them that are tempted. The word succor means to aid. Aid. You know, and, and the aid that he offers to you and I as the Son of God and the Son of Man is the aid that, and the comfort of knowing that folks that he went through and was tempted in all points like as we are. Never think for a moment. I've had people say, well, the Lord wouldn't understand. Wouldn't he? Look at the life of Jesus Christ. Look at all that he went through while he walked this earth as a man and as he went to the cross of Calvary, as he uh, hung on the cross of Calvary. Pay attention to what the Lord went through. You know, one of the blessings of studying the life of Christ is to see God the, the Son, but to see God the man. The man Christ Jesus. And it's important. You know, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, look with me there, 1 Timothy chapter 2. <clears throat> beginning in verse 3. 1 <clears throat> Timothy ch chapter 2 and verse 3. Who will have, for this is good and acceptable, 1 Timothy 2 and 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Folks, it was the man, Christ Jesus, that hung between heaven and earth as our mediator. Hebrews 4 and verse 14. Hebrews 4 and verse 14. <clears throat> and because he was willing to do these things, do what he did, we have access to God. In Hebrews 4 and 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest 
that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. He is alive and well, if the sitting at the right hand of the Father. But it says something important in verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as like as we are, and yet without sin. Again, everything that we could have gone through and can go through in this life, Christ in some manner or other experienced. And folks, you know what? We can come to God through Jesus Christ and know that God the Son understands and even, if you will, intercedes for us. He says in verse 16, Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Folks, we're not alone in this world. Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior. He is the God the Son, uh, the man Christ Jesus. He is there for us. He understands us. He understands what we're going through. And folks, you know what? We see in Christ's prayer. We see that he's troubled, but we see him prayer. See him in prayer, folks, if you will, helping us to know that in the midst of the greatest troubles that we have in life, God is there for us, that the, the throne room of heaven is open for us. God wants to hear from us, amen, and wants to help us. Thank God for that, if you will, John 12. John 12, and see the second thing this morning. In John 12 and 27, now is my soul troubled. So we saw the trouble of Christ. We've seen also the prayer of Christ. And now we see, if you will, the hour of Christ. Christ's sufferings. If you will, now is my soul troubled. Trouble, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I into this hour. This, the word hour is important to, to pay attention to. We could overlook it, but there's something to be learned from considering this hour. This speaks of the time of his sufferings. And <clears throat> if you will, um, two things I want to consider concerning the time of his sufferings. The time, first of all, it was a set time. It was a set time for Christ. You know, Christ, uh, the life of Christ, he lived as God in time, as a man in time, but God is eternal and God is above and beyond time. See, before before God created everything and man, there was no time. To speak of God as being eternal, it speaks of the fact that he lives and has lived at all times because there is no time without him. The time we enjoy today is important because it gives us a framework with which to make our decisions and choices for God. Here we find uh, uh, Jesus said, Father, save me from this hour. Look with me to Ecclesiastes 3. Ecclesiastes 3, beginning in verse 1. here the bible says to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven a time to be born and a time to die a time to plant a time to pluck up that which is planted a time to kill and a time to heal a time to break down and a time to build a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace 
a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get it, a time to, to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to rend, a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. Folks, there's a, a time for every purpose under heaven. There was a time set aside by God when Christ, his son, the son of man, would come into this world and he would be born of a virgin. He would live 33 years and he would go to the cross of Calvary and suffer. There was an hour, the time set by God, if you will, as we find in verse 2, a time to be born and a time to die. This hour that Christ was moving toward was the hour of his death. Ecclesiastes 8 and 8. Ecclesiastes 8 and 8. You know, it's difficult sometimes for us to imagine that if you're born, there's a time to be born, there will be a time to die. Ecclesiastes 8 and 8, Jesus Christ as a man was born, born of a virgin, a miraculous birth, but he would have a time to die. Ecclesiastes 8 and 8, the Bible says, There is no, uh, no man that hath power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war, neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. Folks, no man has the power. No man has the power to keep himself alive in the sense of when it's time to die, it's time to die. And you know, I've said this before, but it's interesting sometimes, it's sad to imagine that when some people are dying, they go through a struggle, an actual physical struggle, and they call it the death throes in that the person is striving with all of their might to hang on to life. And they can't do it. They can't do it. <clears throat> there is a time to be born. You know, children don't ask to be born. Amen. If you were to ask some of your children sometimes, are you glad I'm your mother or your father? Oh! <laughs> I don't want you to. I would, I, if I could choose, well, the reality is you don't get to choose. Amen. You don't get to choose. You don't get to choose whether you're born or not. It's a choice by God. God brought you into this world, and one day you'll leave the world. In Ecclesiastes 12 and 1, Ecclesiastes 12, beginning in verse 1, <clears throat> here the Bible says, Now remember, remember now thy Creator, verse 1, in the days of thy youth. Obviously, he's, he's talking to younger people. While the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, where, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure. I mean, you know, folks, the older we get, sometimes, <clears throat> physically speaking, the, the pleasures of life are not what they used to be. Amen. Again, we can't get around as well as we used to get around. As someone said recently to my wife, you know, it's tough getting old. <laughs> it is. Amen. Can't do what we used to do. Don't enjoy things the way we used to. While the sun or the light... Or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain in the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble. Now, do you watch the wording here? He's talking about when we begin to lose sight, we begin to lose our hearing. You know, recently I, I, I realized I think I'm starting to lose my hearing. Now, on some levels, that's good. <laughs> on some levels, that may be good. On other levels, no. <laughs> but he says here, talks about the trembling. And the strong men shall bow themselves. It's amazing how, how you'll see a man in his youth strong and standing upright. And then as we get older, we begin to stoop. We begin to be bowed down, begin to straighten up like we'd like to. Just getting out of bed's a chore, amen, for some. 
And he says, And the doors shall be shut in the streets when the sound of the grinding is low. He shall rise up at the voice of the bird, and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. He's talking about losing and hearing, things like that. And when they shall be afraid of that which is high, and fear shall be in the way. You know, folks, it's amazing that as people get older, they get more fearful. And in some respects, it's because they're losing their strength, they're losing their sight, they're losing their hearing, and they feel more, more vulnerable. And sometimes, you know, maybe someone can hear, now, some of you are getting older. Some of us are getting older. And, you know, with that aging, sometimes brings fearfulness. Because you're afraid of, well, what if I take a fall? Because, see, I can't walk like I used to. I can't operate the way I used to. And fear has become a part of life, and it's difficult for people as they're dealing with it. You know, God knows what he's talking about. That's why we have an account of this kind of thing in the scripture. He says, the almond tree shall flourish, and the grasshopper shall be a burden. Wow. I <clears throat> can't remember the last time a grasshopper was a burden. <laughs> We're talking about the loss of a lot of things, strength, whatever. <clears throat> and desire shall fail, because man goeth to his long home, and the mourners Go about the streets. Now watch verse 6. Wherever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel be broken at the cistern, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Now, I think verse 6 is a very telling statement in the sense he talks about the silver cord being loosed. You know, folks, it's like we hang on to life by a thread. And there's a point where there's no way to hang on to it anymore. And you know, people, you know, you have people say, well, I died and they brought me back. When someone really dies, there's no coming back except by a miracle of God. There are those at different times who've been pronounced clinically dead and sometimes imagine things that they've seen and what have you. And let's remember, if they're on a table, they're in an operation, they're probably under the influence of different kinds of drugs. And people will see things and imagine things that are not true. I don't believe on uh, on this idea of people dying and coming back and are going to write a book about what happened. (laughs) Stay away from books like that. God's already written a book about what has happened and will happen. Amen? And when people really die, there's no coming back. When the picture is broken, I mean, you know, have you ever dropped a, the picture I'm referring to is a, uh, like a water vessel, What you drop it. Ever had dropped something in your kitchen, ladies, and something you really wish you hadn't dropped, and you're looking at the thing, oh, no. Or one of your, lovely children drop something that you just valued and you're looking at them like okay do i kill her or him or do i just walk away go someplace to where i can take some deep breaths get a hold of it when it's broken now listen when it's broken can it be put back together no it can't be put back together so when people die they die The only time that we see some instances in the scripture where God raised someone from the dead, they were already dead, literally dead. God brought them to life. Not clinically dead, dead. 
gone. God brought them back. I don't, I don't go for a lot of this, oh, well, we, we brought them back from the dead. You're not God. No man is God. I appreciate modern science and modern um, uh, methods of, of, of medicine and what have you, but you don't bring someone back from the dead. Not, not in the way that God calls death, death. Genesis 47. 47. <clears throat> Look at verse 28. Sometimes when you, when you run across a blonde occasionally, you wonder if they didn't <laughs> lose it here. I don't know. Genesis 47. Look at verse, you know what? I'll get some complaints. Somebody will re- hear this message. Did you hear the way he talked about blondes? Brain dead. Genesis 47, 28. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years so the whole age of Jacob was 140 and seven years. Now this is on the tail end of the time as, as the flood has already happened and as time continues to go on. Men lived quite a long time, but the length of their life was slowing down. It was becoming less and less all the time. He lived 147 years and the time drew near that Israel must die. There's a time to be born, there's a time to die. Must die. <clears throat> And he called his son Joseph and said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, put, I pray, to thy hand into my, uh, my thigh, and deal kindly and truly with me, and bury me not in Egypt. Let me say this about burial, folks. Uh, for Christians, burial, physical burial, is Christian. Uh, if you will, uh, cremation is not Christian. And I preached a whole sermon on that, but I want to reiterate something, folks. Uh, <clears throat> cremation is not Christian not Christian burial. Consider that. I've had people argue that point with me, and it's okay if they're wrong. I don't mind. I, you know. <laughs> so. But I will lie with my fathers, and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. And he said, I will do as thou hast said. And he, and he said, swear unto me, and he swore unto him. And Israel bowed himself upon his bed's head. You know, Israel died and was buried, physically buried. But he said, the Bible says he must die. It's a must that we, as long as we live in this body, there's going to come a time when we must die. It's not a pleasant time, but it is a set time, a, a time set by God. Look at 2 Kings, 2 Kings uh, 20. 2 Kings 20. Second <clears throat> Kings 20. <clears throat> And let's begin in verse 1. In those days Hezekiah was sick unto death, and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Now, what an amazing thing. Wouldn't you just love it if somebody, a messenger came to the door and knocked on your door and said, and you opened the door and said, Oh, uh, set your house in order, it's time to die. Often with most of us, death is either absolutely sudden or we have, you know, we suddenly begin to realize we're sick and facing the matter. If you will, let's read on. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. 
God told him, you're going to die. Get ready to die. But he, he prays to God. And it came to pass before Isaiah had gone out in, into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal uh, thee on the third day. Thou shalt go up into the house of the Lord, and I will add unto thy days fifteen years, and I will deliver thee and the, this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for mine own uh, sake, and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, Take a lump, lump of figs. Now here's a home remedy. So every time you get a boil that threatens your life, go get a lump of figs. Now. <laughs> Let me, let me say this too. Be careful of playing doctor. In this church, you may have an idea about what you think is good health, and that's fine. But don't play doctor in the church. I don't want this church to ever find a, a, them, a, ourselves come under, coming under liability because somebody in this church is walking around playing doctor. And doling out advice, and it gets to somebody, and somebody dies because they, now listen, because they didn't go to a regular doctor. Now, I'm not against some of the homeopathic ideas, and they're now incorporating them with modern medicine, but even some of the homeopathic doctors say, listen, take, take the uh, prescribed medicine, and then we'll do something alongside it to help strengthen you. But be careful, if you're not a doctor, be careful at playing doctor. Because you could end up harming someone you love because you're playing doctor. Are you saying the doctors are always right? No. No. But I'm going to tell you, they've made it their study and their time preparing to be doctors to people that need it. Let's read on. And Hezekiah said unto Isaiah, what shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me? And so forth. We talked about that. But the fact is, is here God sends a messenger and says, you're going to die. You're going to die. It's time to die. God said earlier to uh, Israel, you must die. Hezekiah wasn't satisfied with that. He, he, he sought the Lord. He prayed. And God heard his prayer and gave him 15 additional years. 15 more years of life. Say, well, how does that be? I mean, here's the time to hear. It's, it's, isn't it time for him to die? Listen, let's talk to God about that. You know, I could say with my mother or others who I prayed for, well, maybe it's their time to die. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. When I prayed for Brother Knight, I said, God, I don't know. But you do. If it be your will, God show mercy. Let him live longer. Same for my mom. Same for others I pray for. Amen. There is a time to die, a set time. Hebrews 9. Maybe it wasn't Hezekiah's time to die. Hebrews 9 and 27. Hebrews 9 and 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. John 7 and 30. John 7 and 30. John 7 and 30. 
Then they sought to take him, meaning Jesus. But no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. At this juncture, it was not time for Christ to die. In our text in John 12, he is approaching the hour of his death. It was a set time, and then next time we'll talk about the fact that it was a short time. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about this message, or if you would like information about our church, please visit us online at bbcdickinson.com.